Let's pray. Father, we come to you in prayer once again in the name of Jesus. We ask you, God, to speak to our hearts. And God, what a wonderful, what a wonderful thing it would be if indeed the Holy Spirit of God fell on us with great power. And God, I pray that this morning that you would not only instruct us in the Word, but inspire us, comfort us, and encourage us as well. And we'll pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amen. Just have a seat. And as we take our Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31, what a wonderful time we've had of worship this morning. Wouldn't you agree with that? Amen. And, and I, I, just, I just sense that God is, is pleased this morning, pleased with our hearts, and uh, is ready to speak to us. And let me just say that um, from here, I guess, on out for any uh, foreseeable future, I'm going to be in the worship service uh, just here on this campus more often. I'm going to go plan to go out to the East Campus to three times a month, maybe once a month or so. And, and so uh, because of what's happened and, uh, you know, and how God has work, orchestrated things out, Tom Devine, of course, have been on our staff one thing or another with internships and, and sports outreach, and he's been the interim pastor out of East. Well, anytime you have an interim, they're going to be looking as well as us looking, and he found something uh, before we could find someone there, and he is actually... Uh, moving on to be an associate pastor and youth pastor at a church uh, here in south uh, south part of Orlando uh, here in just a couple of weeks. And so we rejoice for Tom. Uh, he's been a young man that's been special to us, and uh, he's ready to take his next step in the ministry. And so because of that, uh, Brandon, my son, who's going to be starting a church uh, over in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, um, why would he would want to go up there when he can stay, you know, around here somewhere in beautiful Florida? I don't know. But anyway, uh, I'm not <clears throat> biased on that just because he's taking three grandkids with him. But anyway, what I was saying was, was um, he's going to be going over there as interim. And uh, because of that, he's going to transition really to the next pastor as we find him this fall. And uh, he's going to be preaching there more often. And so um, uh, that's the reason why we have an extra song here this morning. And I'm getting up a little bit later. Let's take our Bibles. We're going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31. God is over there for you. Now, we've been in a series of messages on God with us. Be encouraged. Now, uh, many of you remember the old Western. And if you don't remember it, you'll see the reruns, baby. Wagon Train. Anybody remember that besides me? Wagon Train. Now, this was really an old black and white Western where people would go out west and this wagon, the wagon trains, and that's really was, they were trying to depict what was really happened uh, back during that time as they went through. But they always would send this one guy out ahead of them called the scout. Now, the scout was supposed to go ahead of them and, uh, and uh, then come back and report how much water was around, how much food, and, of course, the Indians and all the other things that were going to possibly come uh, about them in opposition. And so the scout was very important. It was the eyes maybe of the future, you might say, with that wagon train. If it wasn't for that, they could go into all kinds of ambush and, and uh, uh, certainly uh, without water, without drink, without food. And so the scout became very important. It's sort of, again, the eyes of the future. Now, I want to ask you a question. You know, if you had a scout for your future, what would that mean? You say, immediately we think finances, right? Man, if I had a scout for the future, if somebody could go ahead in the future for me and find out what the stock market's going to do for the next 12 months, you know, I'd be rich. 
And what would you do? You say, yeah, find out. What are the best stocks here? But if you also knew that if you made those millions of dollars, it would ruin your life, then you say, well, wait a minute. I might not want to do that then. And so here we find, we think we know what's best for ourselves, and we have wishes and prayers, but we really don't know because we think to ourselves we don't have a scout to go ahead of us. But yet tucked away in Deuteronomy 31.8 is a marvelous promise to us. It says, the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Here we find that God is our scout ahead of us. The Bible tells us that he's everywhere at one time, and he knows what's going to be going on in the future. Now, as we open up this passage, I want us to understand the book of Deuteronomy. We've sort of been going over a little bit about the, uh, the um, exodus from Egypt, and now they've been in the wilderness, and they've been in the wilderness 40 years because they disobeyed God at a place called Kadesh Barnea. Remember the story I told you the last couple of weeks about how Moses led them into the wilderness, and what has happened here is that since they disobeyed God and would not go into the promised land when God told them to go, they had to stay back in the wilderness for 40 years. That 40 years is up, and now we find the end of the book. In fact, the first three chapters of Deuteronomy really is a backward look. Chapters 4 through 11 talk about an inward look. Chapters 12 through 30 or so, it talks about a forward look. And beginning about the end of uh, chapter 30 through the rest of the book, it's an upward look. They're getting prepared to go into the promised land. And now what Moses has been instructed to do is pass the baton on to Joshua. And Moses will not be able to go into the promised land. But Joshua is to take the role of leadership and to go into the promised land. Now, in this passage, the key phrase is in verse 8. He is the one, the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. Notice there's four things in this passage. First of all, there's a promise, there's a battle, there's a fear, and there's, then there's finally a hope. First of all, the promise that assures us. Look in verse 8, we find two basic promises. The Lord is the one, no other, no other person could do this for you. He is the one who goes ahead of you. And then the second promise, he will be with you. Well, let's take the first one. He's going to go ahead of you. How do you know he's going to go ahead of you? Because the Bible teaches us that God knows everything. Listen to 1 Peter. It says this, to those who reside as aliens, and it mentions several different places, including Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia, he says, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What is this word foreknowledge? It means, comes from two Greek words, meaning before and knowledge, pre and knowledge, pre-knowledge. It means that God, not only as Psalm 139 tells us, as we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, uh, he tells us that God is everywhere at one time, but that God knows everything as well. He knows all the past. He's no, he knows all the present. He knows all the future. Who else does that? He is the only one that can be our scout for the future. We find here in the Scripture this foreknowledge. Now, God knows everything that's going to go on in the future, everything. But the Bible also speaks of, of God being in, in time and out of time in a different way. Remember when um, Moses appeared before the burning bush and the, burning, the bush was burning and, and the voice came from the bush and 
Moses asked the question, who are you? He says, I am. Now, that is a present tense. He says, I am that I am. And what the Bible is teaching us here is that God, even though he works within time, and there is a present, and that present is right now. I'm not trying to get spooky with you here. But to God, it's like he's in the present, in the past, in the future, all at the same time. He's everywhere at one time. He can look at it as though he's looking at the past at Kadesh Barnea. He can look at the future in the book of Revelation all at one big glance because he is in the present all the time. He works within time, but time is not over him. So the Bible tells us that God has all the knowledge, and even here in the Scripture, we see it being fulfilled. If you you were to turn ahead in Joshua chapter 3, the Bible talks about the Ark of the Covenant. Remember what we said about the Ark of the Covenant inside the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant was the place where God's presence resided in the nation of Israel. And there the, the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them into the Promised Land. God was literally saying, I'm going to go ahead of you. Now, as we look at this, what about the whole idea? What does that mean to us? I remember um, before I got back into the pastorate, I was uh, going to uh, seminary. I had pastored before, and then I went to seminary out at Southwestern. And while I was there, I was privileged to work with the um, um, with Dr. Billy Hanks, who had worked with Billy Graham, and he was basically teaching churches how to have a discipleship program in the church, and that's where I, I worked. Well, he did, he conducted uh, what he called the Greater Houston Conference on Spiritual Growth and Discipleship, and I was privileged to lead the cord- conference coordination in that at the First Baptist Church of Houston. Now, the point I'm making is this. When Dr. Hanks stood up in the pulpit to teach that, and it was a film series done by by Word, when he did that, everything was prepared before him. Everything. We had taken care of the ticket sales, the churches being involved, uh, the times, the, the music, everything. All he had to do was just simply step up and do what he needed to do. God has prepared the future for us, and that means he's prepared for our safety. He's provided for us, as the song uh, mentioned just a few moments ago. Also, he's provided meaning, because anytime you have design for the future, which he does, he has a plan for our life, as the Bible says. He has a plan for our life. Anytime you have design, you have meaning involved in that. Then there's wisdom and decisions. In fact, in verse 15 of chapter 30, the previous chapter, it says, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. He says, I'm giving you a choice. I'm I'm looking for you now to make a decision between life and death, between the good choices and the bad choices. And so here the Bible teaches us, and many other passages as well. In fact, let me read one to you. In Isaiah chapter 52, it says this, But you will not go out in haste, nor will you go as fugitives. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. He says, I'm going to have your back. I'm going to go before you, and I'm going to have your back. So God has gone before us. There's nothing surprising to God that could ever happen to us. He knows the future already. He has prepared the future for us. He's gone ahead like John the Baptist went ahead of Jesus to prepare the way, to to cut through the jungle, you might say, to prepare the message of Jesus Christ. God has gone before you. But then I want you to notice the second promise 
he says, it says here, he will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you, so don't, don't be afraid. He says, I'm going to be with you in the future. We've talked about how God has been with us in the past, and he's brought us along to this point, to this very day, to, to this time at the 915 service at Cross Life Church. He's brought you here for a purpose and a reason, and everything that's gone before your life has brought you into maturity and brought you to the place where you are today. But our biggest worry is the future, right? I mean, we fear of the future. Why? Because it's the unknown. That's the reason we stress out. That's the reason we worry. You know, what if? What if I can't find a job? What if I lose my job? What if my child strays from God? What if he doesn't come back from God, for God? What if uh, I, my, my job has, uh, maybe, maybe they transfer me? What if, what if this and what if that? What if I can't find a, a, a spouse? What if, what, what if my, I don't have children? What if, what if, what if we fear of the future? And the only way we're going to be comforted in this life and be encouraged just to know that God has gone before us and when we get to the future, even in the next 30 seconds, the next minute, the next hour, the next day, he is going to be with us every single step of the way. He will be with you. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. Now, why do we need this? Why? Because you and I both realize at least subconsciously that we are in, in a battle. We're in a spiritual warfare. I want you to notice in verse 1. So Moses went out and spoke the words to the, all of Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I bet you he beats everybody here, you know, in that. I am no longer able to go and come and go. And the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross this Jordan. Now, the reason why he told him that is because Moses had lost his temper and disobeyed the Lord, um, and really he lost his temper many, many times. He had an anger issue, and because of that, God said, okay, that's enough. You're not going to go into the promised land. There's too many battles to fight. We need to steady your hand there, and he calls Joshua. It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you shall, he shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. The Lord will uh, will do to them as he had done to Sion and Gog uh, and Og, the previous battle, the kings of the Amorites, and to their, their land, and he, and he destroyed them. The Lord will deliver them up before you, and you shall do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. He, he's describing here a warfare that's going to be going on. The great thing about this passage, and uh, we need to realize, is that God has promised to win the battle for them already. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Now, what was he talking about here? We read a few chapters later in the Bible, in the book of Joshua, where God said this to Joshua, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. Just as I spoke to Moses from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you. All the days of your life, just as it has been with Moses, I will be with you. 
I will not fail you or forsake you. Comes back to that over and over and over and over again. What's he saying? I've already won the battle for you, and yet he says you're going to have to fight the battle. He also says to Joshua in Joshua 1.9, he repeats what he has said already in Deuteronomy 31. Have I not commanded you? Yes, you have, Deuteronomy 31. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Why should you not be afraid? Because you, you are going to fight a battle. So the Bible depicts the Christian life as this. The Bible tells us that once you receive Jesus Christ into your heart, you are guaranteed of heaven. You are guaranteed that God is going to bring you along and do all that he's going to be doing to bring you along and become more and more like Jesus Christ. And we, all we have to do is respond positively to that. However, with that being said, you're going to have battles to fight. There are going to be battles. Why? Well, we need those battles. We need them to reveal God to us. We need them to build character in our life. We build, need that to build tenacity and also reveal what the idols are in our life. But there is spiritual warfare that's taking place. I remember, many of you remember me telling a story, I guess, about John Vaughn sitting in a, an airplane. And John Vaughn is a, kind of a spiritual growth guru, you might say, among um, evangelical Christians. There's a lot of surveys and uh, keeps up with churches and what they're doing. And um, been doing this for years. And he was on a plane, and um, he was going to try to witness to this guy, share Christ, with this guy beside him. So he began to strike up a little bit of conversation, and the, uh, the man just wasn't really open. So he thought, well, okay. Well, the, uh, the uh, flight attendant comes by and says, uh, what would you like, you know, the chicken or the fish, you know, or the chicken or the steak or whatever. You know, they always offer you that. And so he, he took the meal, and this other guy said, no, I wouldn't care for anything. And so John turns to him and said, you know, you really ought to try this. It's pretty good for airplane food. And again, just trying to just strike up a conversation. And uh, the man turned to him and said, no, I'm fasting. And he thought, oh, really? What church do you belong to? And he said, the Church of Satan. And I'm from Canada, and we're praying that pastors in Canada will fail, and they'll fail in the part of their marriages, and they'll quit the ministry. And I have five particular men that I'm praying against. Wow. If they're going to do that, they recognize something that's about spiritual warfare. In the, death of, in the book, Death of Satan, Andrew um, Del Banco said that society hates the term evil because it places value judgment on someone else. In fact, I was reading the other day, it's estimated only 5% of America believes in a personal devil, believes in a satanic force. They believe maybe in evil, but they just don't believe it's personified <coughs> in anyone. Remember the movie Silence of the Lambs? And in that, Officer Starling, played by Jodie Foster, comes to Hannibal Lecter in prison. And she's talking to him, scared to death of him. Um, you know, Hannibal the what? The cannibal. Starling says, I think you can provide some insight and advance the study. Lecter says this, and what possible reason could I have to do that? Starling, curiosity. Lecter, about what? Starling, about why you're here, about what happened to you. Lecter, nothing happened to me, Officer Starling. I happened. 
You can't reduce me to a set of influences. You've given up good and evil for behaviorism. Officer Starling, you've got everyone in moral dignity pants. Nothing is ever anyone's fault. Look at me, Officer Starling. Starling, can you stand to say that I'm evil? Am I evil, Officer Starling? Difficult for us to answer the monster's question. But we know in the Bible, we're taught about spiritual warfare. The Bible says that Satan tempted Adam and Eve. Tempted, same, same MO that he goes with today. Doubt God's word, deny God's word, replace God's word. That's what he does in our mind every time he tempts us, every time he develops a stronghold in our life, steal God's word out of our heart or gets us discouraged and, and dismayed about what's going on in life. And when we, we are discouraged, when we're dismayed, when we feel like he, he's putting thoughts in our minds like things like, God doesn't love you anymore. You know, your time has passed. He has, he, he's blessing other people, but you don't see the blessing in your life. My goodness, he's blessing lost people, people that don't know the Lord. But what about your life? What about your kids? What about your grandchildren? What about your job? What about this? And he's putting all these things in your mind to get you to quit, to get you to give up to get you discouraged. We are in spiritual warfare. And when that happens, third point in the outline, when that happens, fear is the result. The fear, we look at as what's inside us. He keeps saying, in fact, in verse 8, he says, he will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or to be dismayed. Fear develops when we feel we do not have the resources to do what we need to do. We fear the unknown. The biggest fear that we probably have is death because we just don't know anything about it. We don't know what's going to happen the very moment that we die. We feel like we don't. Most people don't. So they fear that, and the ones that do not fear death don't fear death for the same reason they don't fear the future, and that is God is with them. They receive Christ into their heart and into their life. And so we look at this and all the what ifs. And so when this comes into our life, what happens? It reveals to us really what the idols are in our life. This fear develops in our life when we think, wow, God, I can't trust you and really I'm kind of punishing you. I I don't love you as much because you won't give me this. Well, that this in my life or in your life is what has really replaced God in our life. Because even though it might make us sad, even though we might be really, really concerned about whatever that this is, we can always say, God, even though you slay me, yet will I trust in you. But the fear in our heart through the spiritual warfare that we go through reveals in us what is really on the throne of our life. And as long as that something else is on the throne, it's difficult for us to have victory. In fact, what happens to us is we make, we're in danger here in fear of making bad decisions. It says here in uh, verse 16, he says, first of all, choose. Then he says, in that command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, verse 16, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away, then you will not obey. 
but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I will declare to you today that you, sh you shall surely perish. You're not going to stay in the land. Now, this was a promise and a condition placed on the nation of Israel. It doesn't necessarily apply directly to us, but the principle is still there. You must choose. Look in verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death. The blessing and the curse. Choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. He's setting the whole passage up by passing and passing the baton over to Joshua. He's saying, life's just filled with choices, but the biggest choice is choose life or death. To choose between God and, and sin or in the way away from God. Choose. When we are fearful, we make bad decisions. I remember one of my favorite uh, Civil War movies was a movie called Shenandoah starring Jimmy Stewart. And uh, some of you, I'm, I'm really taking some of you back, I can tell. And um, if you remember the scene, there's one scene in that movie where they're looking for this uh, youngest boy. He had been captured uh, by one of the armies, and they're looking for him, and they're about ready to give up. They're headed home, and their horses are just walking up to this Confederate camp. And they're just walking and walking. Jimmy Stewart's there leading the way as one of his sons on his right, one's on his left. And he's happening up on this camp, and this young boy, looks about 15 or 16-year-old, has a rifle, and he's supposed to be standing watch. And he's startled by the horses that are coming up. And he immediately raises up his rifle and just shoots and kills one of the sons. Why did he do that? Oh, he's mean. Well, he's not mean. Why did he do that? Well, he's just dumb. Well, no, he's not dumb either. He's scared. He made a bad decision because he was just scared to death. And when he was startled, his first reaction was to go to self-protection and to kill someone. Now, all I'm saying to that is this. When you and I are fearful, we think to ourselves, wow, you know, I'll maybe the young person thinks, I'll never have another chance. This is my only chance to get married, so I'm going to marry this one. Bad decision. Why? Fear. Well, I'm going to take this job because I think it's going to be the only job I'm going to be offered, even though I don't feel led to take it. Bad decision. We make bad decisions all the time because our hearts are fearful. We speculate into the future and think, wow, this may happen. This what, what if, what if, what if? I've got to protect myself. And so while we're going through this, we're in spiritual warfare, we begin to fear what's going on around us. And so what is the answer? Well, I want you to notice lastly the hope that finds us. We read about it in verse 6, but also in verse 7. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him, In the sight of our, all Israel, be strong, courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. Promise. And the promise was this, the land's yours. That's real hope. Because what is hope? Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is assurance. The Bible puts it this way in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. Faith is the things that are hoped for. 
That is, I have the assurance that God knows the future. God's in the future. He's gone before me in the future. He knows what's going to go on. He knows what's taking place. He is going to be with me. And now I have, not of, of the what ifs and all the speculations, I have a hope or an assurance in him that all things are going to work together for my good. That is the promise of God. That is the hope that is within us. And again, I say we underestimate how profoundly our character and our decisions are affected by the way we see our future. Do we make decisions in fear about the future or in hope about the future? When we hope in God, we know that we trust him, that he has a plan for us. Listen to Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. We know that he watches over us, and we know together, again, together things are going to work for the good. Romans 8, 28, a very familiar verse. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And so all these things are going on, plus the greatest fear of all, the fear of the afterlife. The Bible says, in my Father's house, Jesus said, are many mansions. If I were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself, that where I am there you may be also. Different version, but still. Same thing. I know that because I received Jesus in my heart, I know he has gone before me. He's sitting right now at the right hand of the Father, ever to pray for me. Make intercession for you and I. And I know one day I'm going to be with him as he has gone before me and before you and prepared that place for you. We look and we understand that hope, this hope that he was giving Joshua that day, as he was going to pass from the scene, Joshua had to be thinking, wow, I've never, I've never done this before. I, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've always been the sidekick. You know, I've always been the Tonto. I've never been the Lone Ranger. I've always been the person, the Robin, and not the Batman. But now you're asking me to take over. The, the insecurities and the fears that had to be within his heart, and over and over and over again, in Deuteronomy 31, and Joshua 1, he says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, I'm with you. The assurance that God is with you becomes like an anchor for us. Hebrews 6.19 puts it this way. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil. Now, this word anchor is a nautical term. It's the, the anchor's there to steady the ship and to keep it from drifting. Our hope is based upon the faithfulness of Jesus Christ that he is going to respond and keep his promises that he makes in the Bible. Remember the story of the tabernacle that I shared with you last week, and maybe we can throw that picture up again. And in this tabernacle was the tent, the holy place, as you can see here. And in the holy place was, or rather, the, the holy place, the holy of holies, and within that was the Ark of the Covenant, where the Bible says that the presence of God was there at the Ark of the Covenant for the nation of Israel. Now, when the book of Hebrews writes about the anchor of the soul. It refers to the tabernacle. And it refers to it because the book of Hebrews is a Christian book written to Hebrew people. And they need to identify with where it's coming. So the writer of Hebrews was simply giving 
the, the readers something that they can, they can grasp, some, something they understood. And so here's the picture. The anchor of a ship was part of the ship. It was, it was bolted to the ship. It was really a part of the ship. And so the anchor is then lowered into the ocean, and it hooks on to something down deep in the ocean so the ship will be steady and not move right to left and drift off. Here we find a picture of an anchor being tied to us, being part of us, and then it is thrown into the tabernacle through the holy place into the Holy of Holies and is anchored then onto the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God in our life. He sang to us this anchor of the soul, this hope that is within us, anchors us, and the same anchor that is tied to Jesus Christ, the other end of that anchor is tied to us. That is the hope that we have. That is the assurance that God has given us in this life. And that's the reason, dear friends, when he talks about this, he's telling us, make the right choices. He says in verse 19, so choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. God has gone before us. God is with us now. God will be with us in the future. And as the old saying goes, I don't know what my future holds, but I know who holds my future. You are anchored to that. You say, yes, but where do I get started with all this? As I shared with you a few moments ago, the greatest fear that we have, the greatest unknown that we have, whether we want to admit it or not, is the fear of death. Am I going to be taken care of? Am I going to be good enough to get to heaven. I hope I will. I think I will. Well, the Bible teaches us that no one is good. And so the only way that we can make it to heaven is to be forgiven. That's why at the end of the Bible, John wrote these words. These things have I written unto you, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son of God has life. He does not have the Son of God, does not have the life. It's a simple, simply, as going from being unforgiven to forgiven through not trusting, trusting in yourself, trusting in that, that thing that you fear the most, that thing that you, you don't want to lose, that thing that's on the throne of your life, to trusting in what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. What about you today? Know that God has gone before you. And I know all of you here are going through something. There's not a person here that is not looking to the future with some sort of anxiety, some sort of stress. No wonder a Bible character like Joshua was told over and over and over again, remember, I am with you. I'm with you. Let's pray together. And as we bow our heads before the Lord, um, I know many of you are going through uh, maybe some physical ailments, Infirmities, you're going through adversity in your life, you're wondering about the future. Ask yourself this question How much of your stress and anxiety is about what's going on in your life right now versus what is going on maybe, maybe, maybe in the future? Can you trust God that He's with you today? Can you trust Him that He's going to be going before you? 
He's already gone to heaven. He's preparing a place for you. So you're sitting here this morning. You've never received Christ into your heart. I want to invite you to do that right now. I'm going to pray this prayer silently, or rather out loud. I ask you to pray it silently with me. If you mean the prayer, if you want Jesus to come into your life, your heart, and to give you that hope, that assurance, pray with me now. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying there for my sins. I open up my heart. I ask you to come in. And I ask you, Lord, to anchor my life to yours. Help me to put you first, to worship you and you only. In Jesus' name. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand quietly together? Here's the invitation this morning. If you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, or you have trusted Christ this morning, you prayed that prayer to receive Christ, I'm going to ask you this morning to where you're standing, just simply start walking toward the front. Take one of these gentlemen by the hand and say, I prayed that prayer to receive Christ. I prayed that prayer. Come right now. We'll pray for you right now. We'll try to do everything we can to help you grow as a believer. The altar is open. Maybe you have a burden on your heart and you just feel like, God, I've got to lay this one on the altar. I've got to lay it on the altar. Right now, why don't you come? You come to the altar. You pray. You ask God to do a work, a marvelous work in your life today as I'm praying for you. You come.